This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So inshallah ta'ala tonight dear brothers and sisters we are covering not just one of the most interesting characters of the seerah but but really a fascinating family where every person within this family has an incredibly unique story. And I want to start off with a conversation since we just finished with Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu that is narrated between Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Abdullah ibn Suhail ibn Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. And this conversation comes in some of the contemporary books to show you a story of how these people were trying to come to terms with their Islam. So the story is that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes out one night and he finds Abdullah. That's not the story. <laughs> he goes out and he finds Abdullah. And he says to Abdullah, Ya Abdullah, oh Abdullah, ma akhrajaka sa'a ila hadha al-makana wahdak wa qad janna al-layl. He says, oh Abdullah, what is it that brought you out to this place in the darkness of the night? So they're in the valleys of Mecca. And he sees Abdullah ibn Suhayn. And he says, what is it that brought you out to this place in the middle of the night? So Abdullah says, ma khurujuka ant? What is it that brought you out, O Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu? Now everyone is kind of suspicious of each other in the early days of Islam. Who's hiding their Islam? Who is open about it? You know, uh, they're trying to sort of figure each other out, scope each other out. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was not a Muslim yet at this point. So this is pre-conversion Umar, who if you remember in the story of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, there were some mixed signals about where he stood. His intentions, his motivations were very different from the motivations of Abu Jahad and Abu Sufyan and others at the time. <clears throat> so Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, ضَاقَ صَدْرِي فَأَحْبَبْتُ أَنْ أَجْدُوَ بِالنَّظَرِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ وَالنُّجُومِ He said, you know, I was feeling some constriction in my chest. I was having a hard time. I wasn't feeling too good. And I went outside to, to look out to the skies and look at the stars at night. You know, basically, I'm just trying to catch a breath of fresh air in the middle of the night and relieve myself from some anxiety that I'm feeling. Abdullah says, He said, if that's the case, then I'm out here for the same thing. So both of us are hanging out in the valley of Mecca, looking out at the stars in the sky. So Umar says, Mahmoum, are you okay? What's going on? What is it that is causing you stress? And subhanAllah how these conversations are happening. So Abdullah says to Umar, Ya Umar, هَلْ يَعِيشَ الرَّجُلُ بِقَلْبَيْنِ يَا Umar? Oh Umar, does a man live with two hearts, وَاحِدٌ لِنَفْسِهِ وَآخِرٌ لِغَيْرِهِ One for himself and one for the others. Meaning can a person have two personalities and, and two hearts? One where they really you know, feel for themselves, think for themselves, and one that they have just to appease the people. So he's saying to Umar anhu now, he's getting very explicit. Should we follow our fathers, obey our fathers, and deny what our hearts feel? So the two hearts are what? The heart that I have for my family and my people, and the heart that I have for myself. How I'm really feeling about what's going on. Now he still hasn't said what it is, but He's, he's speaking about this, 
in a very clear way. Can a man really live with two hearts? How am I supposed to live my life? So Umar said, He said, Woe to you, is it Islam that's causing you this confusion? But then listen to what he says. He says, In Kanal Islam, if it is Islam that is causing you to have this, this feeling in your heart, and he says, and you follow it and you bear the consequences because you believe in it, you bear the consequences of obeying this message, following what your heart feels. He says, Then look, you're my enemy, you're going to be my opponent, I'm not going to like you, but at least I'll respect you. This is the mind of Umar anhu. So look, if you're going to follow your conscience and you're going to follow this religion of yours, if this is really how you feel and you bear the consequences of that, I'm probably going to be torturing you soon. But at least I'll respect you because you're following your conscience. He says, on the other hand, Ama in jabunta. He said that if you become cowardly, and then you choose peace, you choose security over what you believe to be right. He says, Then, you know, you'll be on my side. Basically, I'll be okay with you. You'll, you'll be one of us. But at the same time, I'm not going to have much respect for you. SubhanAllah, you'll be little in my eyes for not following what you believe, the truth. He says, So Umar says, look, I really don't know what to tell you. At the end of the day, I don't know how to advise you to go about your affairs because, you know, we're friends. If you become Muslim, I'm coming after you with a whip next time. But at the same time, don't be a coward. I'm telling you, follow your conscience and follow what you uh, see to be right. Abdullah says, Bala qad ibn al-Khattab. He said to him, rather, O Umar, you have given me the advice that I was seeking. So he goes home to his father. Who is his father? Suhail ibn Amr. Suhail, the chief orator, the chief negotiator of Quraysh, the most eloquent man of Quraysh, a man who was known for his speech, for his wisdom, for his wealth, a man who was admired by all of the tribes, and a man who had so much to lose with Islam in terms of worldly power if he, if he did not see the truth for what it was. So Abdullah says to him, and keep in mind here, Abdullah was about 16 years old when the Prophet received revelation. So he's having this conversation with his, with his father as an 18 or 19 year old. He's very young. And he says to his father, he says, Ya Abata, he says, Oh my father, Aturidu an yakuna Do you want to have a son who's two faced? And he said to him, Of course not. And he said to him, Do you prefer having a son who would be a loyal coward or a courageous opponent? Look what he's doing to his father. So wisdom runs in the family. So would you prefer a son who was loyal to you but was a coward? Or would you prefer a courageous opponent, someone who stands up for himself and who's courageous, but he's also your opponent? So Suhail responds and he says, I definitely prefer the courageous opponent, but why can't you be loyal and courageous? Like that would be better than, than, than the two options that you gave me, as if you were loyal and you were courageous. So he said to him, listen, I want you to know that I followed the religion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I have rejected Allah and al-Uzza, I've rejected your two idols. So Hayl says, la taf'al, don't do it. He says, I've done it. He said, don't do it. He said, I've done it. 
He said, I'm going to kill you. Abdullah said, Lan taf'ad, you're not going to kill me. He said, I'm going to kill you. And then that threat didn't work. He said, listen. He says, I am the richest man in Quraysh. And I'm not going to let you inherit any money from me. No wealth is going to come to you through me. Abdullah responded, What is with Allah is better and everlasting. He said, then I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to tie you up and imprison you for the rest of your life. And Abdullah said, you will not succeed in imprisoning me physically or mentally. So Suhaib says, get out of my house. You're not my son anymore. He disowns Abdullah. But at the same time, hoping that he'll come back to him. That is Abdullah ibn Suhaib ibn Amr. And he is the older brother of the two famous brothers, Abdullah ibn Suhail and Abu Jandal. Abu Jandal, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. So you have Abdullah, who as I said, was about 16 years old when the Prophet received revelation. And you have Abu Jandal, who we're going to speak about, who is the younger brother and who probably was not even a teenager when the Prophet received revelation, but he looks up to his brother Abdullah. Abdullah is his older brother, Abdullah is his role model, and he's heavily influenced by him. The father, as we said, is Suhail ibn Amr. The mother, very interestingly enough, is Fakhita bint Amr ibn Nufayl. Now I'm going to go through a lot of names and I'll try not to spend too much time on this part, but of course that would make her the sister of Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, who was one of the first people that we spoke about. But I couldn't find any information on Fakhita. So Fakhita bint Amr ibn Nufayl, the mother, Suhail ibn Amr, the father, and you have these two children, Abdullah and Abu Jandal, both who are considered from the earliest Muslims. Okay, Abdullah becomes Muslim. Abu Jandal, even though he was a young boy, follows his older brother and privately becomes Muslim as well and embraces Islam with the Prophet ﷺ in secret. You have Sahla, Sahla, the also who is their sister, Sahla was one of the first Muslims and she was the wife of Abu Hudayfa. If you remember when we talked about Abu Hudayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Sahla is the one who breastfed Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa. His famous companions, we already did an episode about them. So Sahla, Abdullah, Abu Jandal, and then you have another sister named Umm Kulthum who also became Muslim and who was amongst those that made hijrah to Abyssinia as well. So all four of the children of Suhail ibn Amr that are mentioned here became Muslim, okay? And the two daughters both migrated to Abyssinia with their husbands to escape the persecution in Mecca. Abdullah also migrated to Abyssinia. Abu Jandal was still a young boy. He stayed with his father and, he, and, and his father did not know that he became Muslim. So think about the, the life of Suhail ibn Amr right now. And I'm going to emphasize the Islam around Suhail for a reason because his conversion is a very strange conversion story. Like how late it, it, it was for him to become Muslim. So his kids become Muslim. Three out of the four escape the persecution that he's partly responsible for with their spouses to Abyssinia. His son Abu Jandal, young boy, privately a Muslim as well. Um, his brother, and this is where, again, if you start thinking about the tree, all of his siblings also embraced Islam. So Suhail's kids embraced Islam, and all of his brothers embraced Islam too. One of his brothers was a Sakran ibn Amr, who was the husband of, and I don't expect anyone to remember this, but if you go back to her story, does anyone remember by any chance? Sauda bint Zam'a radiallahu anha. So Sauda, 
the wife of the Prophet was first married to Sakran, the brother of Suhail ibn Amr. He died in Mecca the same time as Khadija, عنها, which made it, you know, uh, obviously convenient for the Prophet to then, at the advice of Khawla, propose to her. So she lost her husband. They migrated to Abyssinia as well to escape persecution. Then you find other, uh, the other brothers of Suhail, they also all embraced Islam and they all migrated to Abyssinia to escape uh, persecution. And their, their names are even um, you know, not very well known. Uh, so we have a Sakran, we have another uh, brother that, in, that is named Salit or Sulait, uh, who also escaped persecution and went to Abyssinia. So basically the point is, is that Suhail ibn Amr is the only person who's really holding out here. Everybody else around him becomes Muslim very early on. They're amongst the firsts. Children, siblings, they're all going towards the Prophet But Suhail is looked at as the pride of Quraysh. He's their spokesperson. He's their orator. He's their negotiator. And so SubhanAllah, his sense of tribalism overtakes even not just his faith, but his family, his loyalty to his own immediate family. All of them are being persecuted as a result of his insistence upon uh, jahiliya, upon the days of ignorance and upon the ways of ignorance. So what we know is that they go to Abyssinia and Abdullah was one of those, as we said, who escaped persecution. When Abdullah came back from Abyssinia, on the rumor that the people of Mecca became Muslim, because there was a rumor that spread to the people in Abyssinia that the, that the mushrikeen in Mecca, the disbelievers in Mecca, had become Muslim. When Abdullah came back, this time, Suhail would not let him go. Suhail takes him, and he, obviously this is a new stage in trying to persecute and break down the Prophet as well, and he indeed imprisons him and he starts to torture him. So when Abdullah first became Muslim and for the first few years, Yes, it was a bad relationship. It soured the relationship between him and his father. But his father did not make well on the promise of actually imprisoning him. But now he imprisons him. And this makes an example out of him for his younger brother, Abu Jandal, as well, who still has not told his father that he's a Muslim. So he's watching his older brother, Abdullah, be tortured for the sake of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then as a result of that, Abdullah pretends to renounce Islam. So this whole story gets very interesting now. Abdullah pretends to renounce Islam. And so he escapes imprisonment and he continues to aid the da'wah of the Prophet secretly being a Muslim. So now Abdullah and Abu Jandal are both privately Muslims. Abu Jandal is still too young for this to be consequential for him. Abdullah is actually helping the Prophet while coming home and pretending to be a non-Muslim as his father had made well on actually imprisoning him. Now, Ta'if comes. The Prophet ﷺ comes back from Ta'if. And this is very important because it shows you how the Prophet ﷺ saw something in Suhail ibn Amr that was different. When the Prophet ﷺ sought permission to get back into Mecca after the torture of Ta'if, he sent Bilal عنه, to two people. First, he sent him to Al-Akhnas ibn Shuraiq. And Akhnas ibn Shuraiq, he said, no, I, I can't do it. There's just no way for me to overcome all of the pressures of Mecca. The Prophet then sends Bilal عنه, to Suhail to secure his entrance back into Mecca. And some of the ulama mentioned, they say, because Suhail 
did not oppose the Prophet the way that Abu Jahl, the way that Abu Lahab, the way that Abu Sufyan did. You see, they're not all the same. Suhail was not one of those who physically laid hands on the Prophet who spit at him, but he sort of maintained a sort of dignity in the, in the social arena. And so the Prophet thought to try to tug at that in his heart, that look, your fellow Meccan, your, you know, your nephew, because Suhail is older, he's a respected elder, is seeking permission to come back to his hometown. Will you secure that permission for me? Suhail does not respond nastily to the Prophet As much as he hates what the Prophet has done to his family, he sends a message back to the Prophet with Bilal, and he says to him, look, if it was up to me, I'd let you back in. But he said, I'm from Banu Amr, you're from Banu Hashim, our tribal relations do not intersect at the level that I could meaningfully offer you protection. So I'm sorry, but I can't offer you protection. Very interesting. He didn't tell the Prophet ﷺ, get out of here. He didn't tell the Prophet ﷺ, you're lucky I'm not coming after you. He actually apologized that he said, I can't bring you back to Mecca, even though he's one of his persecutors. So the Prophet ﷺ saw something in Suhail that maybe one day, would come to pass. Maybe his affiliation or his, uh, his strong ties to Quraysh and the idea of holding Quraysh together would bring the Prophet back after, uh, after Ta'if. So anyway, the Prophet makes Hijrah. Now this is where the story starts to take all sorts of twists and turns. So Hayl goes out with the chiefs of Mecca to fight the Prophet in Badr. And of course, some of the chiefs of Mecca didn't really want to do it. They were really pushed by Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl was the, the chief insider, saying, let's go out there and let's get rid of Muhammad once and for all. Some of the others were like, no, let's not do it. It's not worth it. Do we really want to start to shed blood and go to war with our own sons and our own nephews? Abu Jahl insists. He pushes all of them to go out to fight in Badr. So Suhail goes out and he goes out with his son, Abdullah, thinking what? That Abdullah was on his side. This whole time, these last few years, he thinks Abdullah has renounced the religion of Islam. And so here's one of the firsts and only that comes. They get to Badr, and as they get close to the Muslim army, Abdullah at night takes off and runs and goes and joins the Muslims. So he switches sides at Badr. This is the only person that you could see doing that. And SubhanAllah, pay attention that None of the Muslims who saw themselves outnumbered here, because Badr was supposed to be a massacre of the Muslims, right? None of the Muslims fled. None of the Muslims went back to their fathers and said, we're sorry, we messed up, please forgive us the night before the battle. But Abdullah defects from the mushrikeen, and he runs to the Prophet and he joins the Prophet to actually fight on the side of the Muslims in the Battle of Badr. Abu Jandar was still a young man back home in Mecca. He was left back in Mecca not yet of the age of battle. So Suhail sees this, and obviously this enrages him. His own son. So Suhail goes forth. The battle goes on. Abdullah fights against his father. Suhail was captured in the Battle of Badr. Abdullah joins the ranks of the Prophet and he will now go back with the Muslims in Medina. So Abdullah has defected, not just from his father, but he's defected from Mecca as a whole. Suhail is captured. Now here's one of the very interesting things you're going to see throughout this biography. Umar radiallahu anhu was not a fan of Suhail ibn Amr. 
he really did not like him. He did not see the good in him that the Prophet saw that there was something there. And Umar was also a very literate man, a poet, eloquent. He kind of knew the politics of Quraysh. And so Suhail particularly annoyed him because he was an insider at the end of the day. I mean, his, his voice was a heavy voice. He was able to cut off alliances from the Prophet like Amr ibn As, right? He's, he's able to effectively isolate the Prophet with his tongue. And so when Suhail was captured in Badr, and this is actually mentioned in Dalal al Nabuwa, uh, the proofs of prophethood by Al Bayhaqi, Rahimahullah, Umar sees Suhail and he says to the Prophet, he says, Ya Rasulullah. He said, let me knock his teeth out so that his tongue can stick out. I, wanna, I want to make an example out of this, this mouth of his <laughs> that has done so much harm to you and harm to the Muslims. Let me just go ahead and knock his teeth out so that for the rest of his life, his tongue will be out there and he won't be able to use his eloquence to incite against you. And the Prophet First he says, he says, I will not mutilate him, lest Allah mutilate me. SubhanAllah, the ethics of battle. We're not them. We don't mutilate our prisoners. So the Prophet said, everything that happened, he said, I'm not going to mutilate him, lest Allah mutilate me. We don't mutilate our prisoners. We don't make examples out of people physically this way. Then he says to Umar radiallahu anhu, he says, Leave this mouth of his. Because one day this mouth is going to make you happy. It may be that one day the mouth of Suhail will make you happy as it has angered you. And he says, And maybe one day Suhail will take a stance that you would envy him over. Saying that to Umar anhu, Suhail, something is there. I see something there. Why does Al-Bayhaqi mention this? In Dala'il al and the proofs of prophethood? Because no one else saw anything in Suhail. I mean, if he hadn't become Muslim yet, when's he going to become Muslim? All of his siblings have become Muslim, all of his children. I mean, he had every introduction to Islam that you could possibly need at this point, And he's still insisting on his ways. But the Prophet even in the heat of Badr, after capturing him, says, Omar, don't knock his teeth out. That mouth might please you one day. That tongue might please you one day. So Suhail is a prisoner. And Suhail... Uh, says to his captors in Badr, and of course the Prophet was deciding what to do with the, cap- with the captives. Suhail says that he needs to use the bathroom. So Suhail goes to use the bathroom, and then he runs off and he escapes. Prophet sends out the troops, they go and they capture him back, and they bring Suhail back, and his uh, hands are tied to his neck, and he's brought to the house of who? Sauda, radiallahu anha, his sister in law, his former sister in law. And Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha, she looks at him in this humiliated you know, way and she says to him, she said, if only you would have died a noble death, like what a humiliating way for you to go. Like this, this is low of you, O Suhail. And the Prophet got upset with Sauda. He said, are you trying to incite him against Allah and the Messenger And Sauda radiallahu anha apologized and the Prophet said, it's okay, leave him alone. Let him kind of just dwell in this place. And then the Prophet ﷺ goes to each one of the prisoners and he's negotiating the release with the prisoners, right? So each one has a very unique circumstance. Some of them have money to give to themselves to ransom. Some of them can only teach how to read. Everyone has a unique circumstance. Suhail is a rich man. Suhail is a rich man. Abdullah comes to the Prophet ﷺ and Abdullah, this was not easy for him. Like, think, you know, subhanAllah, if you go back to the story of Miqdad, when they're talking about how hard it was for them to see their families in this way, 
Abdullah was hurt. He's emotional, seeing his father as a prisoner, knowing that he came out with his father and he loved his father a lot. So Abdullah is trying to negotiate his release with the Prophet and Suhail, uh, of course, was going to be released just like the other prisoners in Badr. And so the Prophet comes to him and the Prophet says, what do you have to ransom yourself? He said to him, listen, you know the wealth that I have. I have many camels in Mecca and a lot of wealth, but I need to go get it from Mecca so I can bring it back to you. That's Suhail. The Prophet actually accepts that. And it's a very interesting uh, circumstance. There's an, a man by the name of Mikraz ibn Hafs, who's from the same tribe. Mikraz takes the place of Suhail in captivity. Suhail goes back to Mecca to get his, his, his ransom. He comes back to the Prophet gives the wealth to the Prophet and takes Mikraz out of captivity. Really interesting, right? So subhanAllah, on one hand he shows nobility, on the other hand, he's an annoying insider to, to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, like this man's tongue is driving us crazy. Now sometime along the way, sometime along the way, Abu Jandal's Islam clearly becomes known to Suhail as well. SubhanAllah, we don't have any of the story of Abu Jandal radiallahu ta'ala anhu up until this point of Hudaybiyah, six years after Hijrah, because who's narrating from him? Who's telling the story of when Suhail found out he became Muslim? Who's learning about Abu Janda's own plight? But this young man in Mecca at some point became exposed for being a Muslim to his father. And what did Suhail do? He did to him what he did to Abdullah. He put him in a chamber in his own house. But Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu had nobody around him. So he's a young man, spent no time with the Prophet ﷺ, did not get to grow up around the Prophet ﷺ, did not get to grow up around his brother. And he's in prison. So think about the location now. Suhail and Abu Jandal in Mecca. Suhail still a chief enemy of the Prophet Abu Jandal, a young man that has grown up and without the Muslims in Medina even knowing, in prison, in a chamber, in the house of his father in Mecca. Abdullah at this point has settled in Al-Medina and he's one of the companions of the Prophet around the Prophet taking part in the different battles and a, you know, a, a student of the Messenger والسلام, a noble companion who gets to grow up in that Madani society. Then comes Hudaybiyah. The Prophet and the Muslims make their way out to do Umrah and we know the story of Hudaybiyah. This treaty takes place, this negotiation takes place because the people of Mecca were in a tough spot. In their ethics, they allow even their enemies to do Umrah and Hajj. So either they're going to betray their own ethics and kill their own, or they're going to be humiliated by letting the Muslims come into Mecca and do Umrah and go back to Medina. So it's a really tough situation for the Meccans to try to figure out how to get themselves out of this predicament. So they're trying to figure out all sorts of ways, right? Uthman radiallahu anhu goes to negotiate. They tell Uthman radiallahu anhu, how about you? They try to sweeten up Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, or, or compromise with him and say, why don't you go ahead and do Umrah, right? And let's see if we can negotiate this another time for the Prophet the Sahaba are ready to go. They are ready to go. And they take this pledge with the Prophet towards uh, death, that they are ready to die for the sake of Uthman when they think that Uthman has been killed. The point is, is that the Sahaba are in a mindset that we're going to go do Umrah or we're going to die in the process. But this is it, right? We're on our way to Mecca no matter what. As the Prophet is sitting in Hudaybiyah, 
the chief negotiator of Mecca comes, and it is Suhail ibn Amr. Now, the Prophet was an optimist, and he used to love a tafa'ul. He used to love good omens, so he didn't allow bad omens for us to say, you know, oh, well, this happened, so bad things are going to happen to me. But the Prophet loved a tafa'ul. He loved good, good omens. So, what does the name of Suhail mean? It means ease, right? It means ease. So the Prophet is sitting with his companions and he sees Suhail ibn Amr coming and he said, He said that Suhail has come to you and so your affairs have been eased for you. This is good news for us. That Suhail is the one that is coming forward. So Suhail comes and he starts to negotiate these terms with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Al-Bara'a he narrates, Qala, Salih al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-Mushrikeena yawma Hudaybiyya ala thalathati ashya. He said that the Prophet made the treaty with the disbelievers in Hudaybiyya on three conditions. He says, Ala anna man atahu min al-Mushrikeen raddahu ilayhim wa man atahu min al-Muslimin lam yarudduhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said that uh, the first condition is that he should return the polytheists or anyone from the mushrikeen that comes to the Prophet I'm sorry, anyone that comes to the Prophet from the mushrikeen is basically protected. And if anyone from the Muslim fugitives escapes to uh, Medina, then they have to be returned. So this is a really unfair condition. Okay, it's an unfair condition. That basically, if one of the disbelievers in this battle or in this captivity escapes, then they're safely returned back and they have that security that's granted to them. But the Muslims, on the other hand, if one of the Muslim fugitives escapes from Mecca, then they have to be given back to their captors. That's a condition that they made with the Prophet And then he said that he should enter Mecca only the following year, and he can only stay in it three years. So basically the Prophet will go back with the Sahaba to Medina and they'll do Umrah the next year, not that year, and they can only come for three days and they do what they have to go uh, do and then they come back. And that also that the weapons that they come with will be only the swords that are meant for sacrificing the animals and they'll keep them in cases. So they're not gonna come with their, with their war swords to Mecca when they come for Umrah. Now, that's the conditions that are being made, right? There's also some things that Suhail says to the Prophet ﷺ, which is obviously very famously known to us. When the treaty is being written, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, who's writing from the Muslims? Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet ﷺ is instructing Ali radiallahu anhu to write the treaty. So Suhail and the Prophet ﷺ are negotiating man to man. Ali is the one writing the conditions. So it starts off with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So he says, ah, 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 we don't know ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. He said, say Bismik Allahum, erase ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And just say in the name of Allah. We know Allah, we don't know these names ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So Suhail is even pushing, that, pushing in that regard. Okay? Then from Muhammad, Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Suhail said, if I thought you were Rasulullah, I wouldn't be fighting you. He said, write in the name of your father, the, the son of your father, Muhammad ibn Abdullah. The Prophet told Ali radiallahu anhu, erase it. Ali radiallahu anhu, his hand stopped. He's not going to erase Rasulullah. So the Prophet himself wipes it out, he scratches it out. He says, where is it? Scratches out Rasulullah. Muhammad ibn Abdullah, fine. You got your treaty. 
in the name of Allah, you got uh, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, you got these conditions after all that we've been through, we're on our way to Mecca, you know, we're in our ihram, we're going to turn back and we're going to come back next year after all that excitement. Who's the one who's burning on the inside the most? Umar radiallahu anhu. Umar radiallahu anhu. Wait a minute. Aren't we on the truth? Alasna ala al-haq. The same thing when Umar radiallahu anhu became Muslim and he took them out to protest, right? Why are we making these conditions with them, Ya Rasulullah? Let's go ahead and let's, let's just go forth. Let's fight them. Who cares? Aren't we on the truth? Aren't they on falsehood? And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu really wants to go forward and there's only one person and this is why he remains superior with all of our love to Umar radiallahu anhu only one person who sees things exactly as the Prophet and that was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu calms down Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and says to obey the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. now in the case of Suhail this is where another first happens and I want you to think about the mindset of the Muslims put yourself in their position the disappointment of not being able to make Umrah after all these years and you were in Ihram and you thought that you're going to be able to make Umrah. The feeling of humiliation that we had to accept these conditions where we you know, erased Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, we erased Rasulullah, it's an unfair exchange with the Muslim prisoners and their prisoners, all in exchange for what? The ability to do da'wah for 10 years in peace. Really what the Prophet wanted was that we can secure our alliances we can do da'wah for the next 10 years. You secure your alliances, we secure ours. The Prophet ﷺ wants to spread the wings of the ummah at that point from the state that was established in Medina, right? But still the emotional impact of this is, is, is too much. Now put yourself in this position. The Muslims had never seen Abu Jandal. Abu Jandal was in a chamber and subhanAllah, narrated by multiple people, by the way, Al-Bara, Abu Jandal, Knowing about Hudaybiyah happening, his father going to Hudaybiyah and this treaty about to be negotiated, Abu Jandal managed to escape from the chamber. And he runs to Hudaybiyah, which by the way is over 100 miles. He goes to Hudaybiyah with his chains still on his hands and on his feet. Makes his way to Hudaybiyah and Al-Bara radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, we had never seen a sight like we saw that day. Can you imagine a man who had been in a torture, prison, a torture cell all these years? And he said every part of his body was wounded. The hair all over the place, right? He doesn't look human at this point, right? I mean, subhanAllah, he's coming out of a torture cell for all of these years. And the chains are still on his arms and on his legs and he's running towards the Prophet This is a tough, tough, tough challenge. This is hard on the Prophet It's hard on the hearts of the believers to see Abu Jandal and he's crying out to the Muslims, Oh Muslims, help me. Help me. Save me. So he just inked the contract and he sees Abu Jandal running and SubhanAllah, what Abdullah is on the other side. And Abdullah ran off to Badr one day, right? So Abu Jandal comes running and everyone is just captivated by the sight. The blood dripping, the chains on his hands, the chains on his legs, his hair, his beard, everything. I mean, just an unkept, tortured human being, a person who's been subjected to all sorts of things. And they didn't know Abu Jandal like that. They'd never seen him. He didn't live in Medina with them. 
And as he comes, Suhail slaps him. And Suhail grabs him by the chain that was, there was a cuff on his neck, they say, kind of like a collar. He grabs him, and he says, and this is the first person in our treaty. You made a deal with me. He comes back with us. Now, if you were in the camp of the Prophet what are you thinking at this point? No way. <laughs> Tear up the treaty. Let's, let's do what Umar anhu said and punch this guy's teeth out. Send him back home somehow. I mean, how would you feel seeing Abu Janda? Think about the test of Abu Janda himself. I finally escaped after all these years of torture. I found the Prophet I found the Muslims. Suhail is grabbing him by the collar. Suhail says, this is the first person that's going back. The Prophet is saying, Ya Suhail, just give me this one. Just him. We, we didn't even finish this yet. We're still completing the treaty. Rasulullah is pleading, just give me him. After this, the deal is, is, is sufficient. Suhail says, no, no. Conditions were made. We have a deal. This is the first person. I'm not letting him go. The Prophet is in a pretty desperate situation. The Sahaba are already having a very tough time. Sahil ibn Hunayf and this was in the context of something else, but he, but he mentions the feeling of that day. He says, He actually called it. He said, you should have seen me the day of Abu Jandal. Like they, it was such, that was the moment that captured the day, right? Is that moment where Abu Jandal is in chains next to his father, covered in blood and torture, calling out to the Muslims to help. The Prophet can't do anything. And the Muslims are watching and they don't know what to do with themselves. He said, I remember myself on the day of Abu Jandal. He said, On that day, I thought to myself, that would have been the one day that I would disobey the Prophet. The context of this was in another time where he's talking about the importance of following Allah and the Messenger. He said, look, that was the time where really my, my nafs, my heart moved in a way like if I was ever going to disobey the Prophet, it was going to be that moment. Right? Where we're just going to attack Suhail. I mean, no, we're not sending Abu Jandal back. But the Prophet has to honor the treaty. Suhail walks with Abu Jandal. Abu Jandal cries out. And he says, Ya ma'ashar al-Muslimin. He's not even addressing the Prophet anymore. O Muslims, uraddu ila al-mushrikeen wa qad jitu musliman. You're returning me to the disbelievers and I came to you as a Muslim? What a test to this young man's faith. This is what I get? I escape a torture chamber to come to you and you're sending me back to the disbelievers? Do you not see what they did to me when I was with them? Are you really going to let me go back? So he's crying out to the Prophet and he's crying out to the Muslims and the Prophet can only say to him what he used to say to Sumayyah in those days in Mecca. Be patient. Allah is going to make a way out for you. But it's in the heat of the moment. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he goes next to Abu Jandal and he tries to give him his sword and, and, and hints to him. He says, kill your father. Like Abu Jandal, take him out. Like he's trying to actually give his sword to Abu Jandal to kill Suhail. That way it's, it's not on our hands. And Suhail walks away with Abu Jandal. And the Muslims are left in Hudaybiyah. The Prophet the Muslims, watching Abu Jandal عنه, dragged away, screaming in pain and wondering why no one is saving him. That's a test of faith. 
Like, faith is being tested on the Muslims, the wisdom of the Prophet How are you letting this happen, Ya Rasulullah? Aren't we on the truth? Are we really going to let this happen? We've moved beyond the days of Mecca. The, 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 the heart of the Prophet No one loved Abu Jandal more than the Prophet loved him in that moment. Umar did not love Abu Jandal the way the Prophet loved him. But the Prophet has to submit himself to this. To test Abu Jandal himself, of course, more than anything else. I mean, he could have went back to Mecca and said, what? Forget about these Muslims. Forget, you know, who is this Muhammad Who is this Prophet? Who are these people that claim to be on the truth? Look what happened to me. He could have gone back, he could have told his father, you know what, I made a mistake, forget about them, I'm on your side now. But what does he do? He stays on his faith. That's yaqeen, that's certainty. His father puts him right back into a torture cell. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has to go back to Al-Madina. Subhanallah, when the Prophet gets to Medina, and Hudaybiyah has finished, another man escapes Mecca. And he escaped with Abu Jandal. So Abu Jandal managed to escape again. And he escaped with another man by the name of Abu al-Basir. Also someone, radiallahu anhu, accepted Islam in Mecca and who never grew up around the Prophet So Abu Jandal and Abu Basir get out of Mecca again. The Prophet is back in Medina. Abu Basir goes to Medina to come to the Prophet Abu Jandal waits on the outskirts. So he stays off of the radar. He knows what happened last time. He knows the conditions. Abu Basir wants to see if he can go to Medina and be with the Prophet Abu Basir comes. He gets to Medina. Delegates from Quraysh come. They say, we have two fugitives. In accordance with Hudaybiyah, Abu Jandal is gone. Abu Basir, he's here in Medina. You have to send him back. Abu Jandal, the Prophet doesn't know where he is. So he's not responsible at that point. He escaped you, he's somewhere that's between you and him. Abu Basir, he's in Medina, and once again, the Prophet has to let him be taken back. Second fugitive, okay, second time. Abu Basir is going from Medina, the delegates of two people from Quraysh, they basically tie him up, they arrest him to take him back to Mecca. Now, on their way out from Medina, this one's interesting, okay? This whole story, subhanAllah, just has so much to it. Abu Basir, he says to the man that's with him at night, they're, at, they're basically camped out at night on their way back to Mecca. He says, Wallahi inni la'ara kada ya fulan jayidan. He said, that sword of yours is really nice. What a nice sword you have. Where'd you get that sword from? So he starts telling him about his sword. So he says, Arini andur ilayha. You mind if I look at it right quick? <laughs> So Abu Basir, عنه, companion who we don't know anything about other than this incident, by the way, he looks at the sword and then he kills the man. The other man wakes up, he sees Abu Basir with the sword and he runs away. So Abu Basir comes back to the Prophet with the sword in Medina. And, or actually before that even, before Abu Basir comes to him, the other man ran back to the Prophet So this is very interesting. Two men came, Abu Basir killed one of them, the other man runs back. The Prophet is sitting in the masjid, and this other man is running towards the Prophet This was the second of the two that came to capture Abu Basir. And the Prophet says, لَقَدْ رَأَى هَذَا ذُعْرًا This man has seen something scary. Like, he doesn't look normal. I wonder what's up with him. So he comes to him and he tells the Prophet what happened, and the Prophet he says to him, he said, listen, that's between you and him. Can't do anything. I sent him back. 
He killed your companion. I, I didn't keep him, so I didn't violate the treaty. Right? So my advice to you is to get back to Mecca. Abu Basir comes to the Prophet and the Prophet says after that, he says, Wayla ummihi mis'ara harbin lokana lahu ahad. Wayla ummihi mis'ara harbin lokana lahu ahad. What that means is basically, woe to his mother. This man could have been a warlord if he had an army. Like this, this man, Abu Basir, like the Prophet is praising him, said he could have raised the whole army by himself. So the Prophet sees Abu Basir. Abu Jandal is on the outskirts of Medina. Now look what happens as a result of this. Abu Basir basically can't stay in Medina. The Prophet is saying, listen, you, the same thing is going to happen if you're here. So he basically gives him a hint. Go. <laughs> Go somewhere else. So Abu Basir goes to Abu Jandal. It gets even more interesting. Abu Basir and Abu Jandal coordinate with some of those that are still Muslims and being held in Mecca. And eventually they manage to free people out of Mecca that are in captivity. So they're going and they're sneaking fugitives out of Mecca that are being held for being Muslim. And then they form a band of over 70 Muslim fugitives, but they don't go to Medina. What do they do? Instead, the Prophet is not responsible for them under the treaty, right? They're their own group of people. They're Muslims, but the Prophet is not violating the treaty. They form this band between the trade route of Mecca and Asham, greater Syria. And basically what they do is, they just keep attacking the caravans of the Meccans as they're going to Asham. And they crush the economy of Mecca. <laughs> because they scare away the tradesmen, the merchants that are trying to come from Asham, and then they attack the Meccans that are trying to go to Asham. So they mess up the trade route. So what ends up happening? Abu Sufyan sends a message to the Prophet and he says to the Prophet look, can you take those 70 people to, with you to Medina and can we just scratch that part of the treaty out? <laughs> We'd rather they go with you than they keep messing up our trade now because they're crushing our economy because they're harassing all of the trade caravans between us and Asham. So we scratch, we were the ones that wanted that condition there. Take Abu Jandal, take Abu Basir, take this group of 70, keep them with you in Al Medina. We don't want them from you. There's no violation of the treaty, the Prophet says, of course. So Abu Jandal, Abu Basir, and this group of people go and they now live in Medina with the Prophet. See, subhanAllah, the twist of fate here, it continues. Abdullah and Abu Jandal now live with the Prophet in Medina. All of Abu Jandal's family, all of uh, Suhail ibn Amr's family, Muslim, either died as Muslims or they live in Medina with the Prophet. Fatih Mecca comes, conquest of Mecca. Suhail is still holding out on his Islam. Not only that, the Prophet named six people that are not included in the general amnesty in Mecca. Why? Because if the Prophet lets them go, then it's going to continue the war. So the Prophet names these six people. Suhail is one of them. Three of them, by the way, out of the six would end up becoming Muslim. Suhail is one of them. Suhail knows that at this point, I need to hide. So Suhail says, لَمَّا دَخْلَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ مَكَّةَ أَغْلَقْتُ بَابِي وَأَرْسَلْتُ إِبْنِ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ أَنْ أَطْلُبَ لِي جِوَارًا مِنْ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ When the Prophet came to Mecca, I went and I hid myself away and I coordinated with my son Abdullah to go and plead to the Prophet on my behalf to let me go. The Prophet granted his amnesty. Abdullah came to the Prophet he spoke to the Prophet on behalf of his father. The Prophet accepted his amnesty. Abdullah and Abu Jandal, 
SubhanAllah, they go back to their father, they call him to Islam. He's still not becoming Muslim. Look at the insistence on kufr, on disbelief. Suhaib still refuses to become Muslim. When the Prophet comes into Mecca, you know there's this famous conversation in Fatah Mecca, Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh, Ma tarawna anni fa'ilun fikum, O Quraysh, what do you think I'm going to do with you? Remember the people of Mecca, they responded, Khayran, Akhun Kareem, Wabnu Akhun Kareem. We expect from you good because you're a noble man, the son of a noble man. You know who said that? Suhail. This conversation, this famous conversation between the Prophet and Ahl Mecca was actually between the Prophet from the steps of the Kaaba and Suhail. Who Suhail says to the Prophet when he says, What do you think I'm going to do with you? And Suhail says, You're a good man. You're a noble man and you're the son of a noble man. So we hope from you good. So the Prophet responds and he says, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم يغفر الله لكم وهو أرحم الراحمين Then I will say to you what my brother Yusuf said, there is no blame upon you today. May Allah forgive you and Allah is the most merciful of those who show mercy. At that point, Suhaid became Muslim. When the Prophet said, اذهبوا فأنتم التلقاء Now I want you to pay attention, the opposite of the firsts, the first are السابقون الأولون, right? The opposite of the first are this group of people called At-Tulaqa, those who the Prophet let go. The last people to become Muslim. I mean, these are people for two decades who held out and fought the Prophet and after the final amnesty, they finally became Muslim. Now, generally speaking, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا Look, those that became Muslim before the Fatih gave their lives up, put their lives at risk, spent their wealth. They went through all these sacrifices, the Abu Jandas and the Abdullahs of the world. They're not like those that became Muslim after the conquest. They're different. They're at a different level. But what does Allah say? But you know what? Everyone has their individual reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Perhaps someone becomes Muslim later on from the Tulaqa from even this last batch, and they excel even the early Muslims. It may be, it's unlikely. Why? Because they waited all the way after basically they had, you know, they had a choice. The Prophet did not force them to convert, but at the same time, you know, like, look, at this point now, if you're fighting for power, the power is gone. The Prophet is in charge of Mecca. Suhail belongs to that class of at tulaqa of that last batch of people. Even, you know, Khalid radiallahu anhu, Amr ibn As radiallahu anhu, they preceded him. Suhail is with Abu Sufyan and, and some of those others, those last people to become Muslim. Now, why do I keep on emphasizing this? Because this story takes another turn that, subhanAllah, you know, goes against everything you would think how the story is going to end. Now, after Fatih Mecca, the Battle of Hunayn happened. The Prophet united Mecca and they fought against Hunayn, uh, the Hawazin who were plotting an attack from the outside of Mecca. Me the Meccans united, the new Muslims and the early Muslims, and they fought together against the Hawazin. The Prophet gave an extra amount of the spoils of war to the new Muslims of Mecca. The wisdom of the Prophet he wanted to show them that he wasn't going to let them down, that he wasn't, that, you know, he wanted to soften their hearts to Islam, they were not accepting, even though in the sight of Allah, in terms of their reward, the first Muslims are better than the last Muslims. The Prophet wanted to soften their hearts. And it worked. 
He gave Suhaid ibn Amr 100 camels from the spoils of war. What was the share of the Ansar? What was the share of the Ansar? You get the Prophet Let the people go with their camels and their sheep. Tarji'una antum ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa We get to go back together to Medina and they say that's what we wanted, Ya Rasulullah. All the Ansar wanted was the Prophet and Jannah with the Prophet But these new Muslims, the Prophet gave them from the spoils of war, the worldly things, to try to secure the alliance at that point of these new Muslims. Now, when the Prophet returns back to Medina, at this point now, this is where the hadith will make sense to some of you. La hijrata ba'd al-fatih. There is no mandatory hijrah, migration after the conquest of Mecca. Meaning those Muslims who became Muslim in Mecca, they don't have to migrate to Medina, they stay in Mecca. So Suhail didn't move to Medina. Suhail stays put in Mecca. And what ends up happening to Suhail? Suhail becomes a distinguished Muslim. This is very interesting. Known for his salah, known for his siyam, known for his sadaqah, known for his buka' min khashyatillah hawl al-Ka'bah. He'd be seen in front of the Ka'bah begging Allah for forgiveness and the tears coming down. Suhail is not like that batch that begrudgingly became Muslim at that point. He looks very different. He resembles the ibadah because those that became Muslim at the end, they weren't known for their ibadah. Like their worship was very little. It was more of like a political alliance for many of them. Of course, the Islam, we take it as it is. We don't question people's Islam and some of them indeed became companions, great companions of the Prophet But Suhail, distinguished. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu says, I remember Hajjat al-Wada'ah. We came for Hajjat al-Wada'ah, Hajj with the Prophet the farewell Hajj. قَالَ لَقَدْ نَظَرْتُ إِلَى سُهَيْلِ بْنُ عَمْرِ وَهُوَ فِي حَجَّةِ الْوَدَاعِ قَائِمًا بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ وَهُوَ يُقَدِّمُ لَهُ الْبُدُنْ وَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَنْحَرُهَا بِيَدِهِ He said that I saw the Prophet, I saw Suhail ibn Amr coming to the Prophet وسلم, on the day of Hajjat al-Wada' on the day of Eid, the sacrifice and he's bringing the animals to the Prophet وسلم, so that the Prophet وسلم, can sacrifice. So he's like a submissive servant to the Prophet and he says, Then the Prophet called for the barber to cut his hair. So the barber cut his hair. And I looked at Suhail. Taking the hair of the Prophet and putting it on his eyes and crying. So I'm looking at Suhail. Abu Bakr remembers Hudaybiyah. So I'm watching Suhail radiallahu ta'ala anhu taking even the hair of the Prophet sallallahu and wiping his eyes and crying. And he says, فَتَذَكَّرْتُ يَوْمِ الْحُدَيْبِيَةِ وَكَيْفَ أَبَى أَنْ يَكْتُبَ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ فَحَمِدْتُ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ هَدَاهُ He said, I was remembering Hudaybiyah. I'm watching, you know, look at, look at Suhail through the eyes of Abu Bakr. I'm watching Suhail and, I, and he said, I remembered Hudaybiyah. That was the same man who didn't want to write Rasulullah on the treaty. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is a siddiq, he knows sincerity. Suhail is not making a scene. He can tell that Suhail is actually a devout Muslim now. Against, again, what anyone would have thought, conventional wisdom would tell you, the guy held out for over 20 years while his whole family became Muslim. But subhanAllah, the way he's around the Prophet the way he's clinging to the Prophet and then again, his distinction 
with his salah, with his ibadah. It goes on. He had a teacher of the Qur'an that lived on the outskirts of Mecca. And Suhail was going out and studying the Qur'an. And this man was from Khazraj, one of the tribes of Ansar. Now realize the people of Mecca, they're new to Islam, right? So uh, they still had some of the tribal ways. Remember, those people that didn't social, socially live around the Prophet or adopt the, so, the new social norms of Islam, this was really a, lear- a steep learning curve for them. Like, suddenly we're merging with the Bilaz and the Ammars and the people that have lived with the Prophet for all these years and learned in Medina, cultivated uh, that tarbiyah within them, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Suhail is going out and there's an Ansari man. So just imagine Suhail, a student of the Qur'an, going out to the outskirts of Mecca to learn Qur'an on a daily basis. Dirar ibn al-Khattab, he tells him, he says, Ya Suhail, why don't you have a Qurashi teach you the Qur'an? We have people that can read Qur'an too. Right? Ignorant statement. You know, you want to go learn Qur'an from a foreigner? Why don't you learn Qur'an from one of us? From one of Quraysh? Suhail responds and he says, Ya Dirar, he says, I can still see you have some of Athar al-Jahiliyyah, some of the traces of ignorance to you. And he said, and Jahiliyyah did to us, you know what ignorance did to us? Ignorance did to us what it is doing to you, hatta subiqna ila kulli khair, until we got beat out to every khair. Other people beat us to every good because of our stupidity. That's what he's saying. We got held back by this Jahiliyyah, and all these other people beat us towards Islam. And he says, Allah raised people who otherwise their names were not mentioned. Allah elevated them while we got left in the dirt because of our stupidity, because of our insistence on this ignorance. And Suhail said, I wish we would have been amongst them, so we would have been considered amongst those that went forward like they went forward. SubhanAllah, look at all this regret that's coming out. So it's like in this, in this series of the first, you have in the story of Suhail, the regret of not being from the first while his children were amongst the first. Suhail radiallahu ta'ala anhu continues to learn. Now, the Prophet Sallallahu dies in Medina. If Suhail radiallahu ta'ala anhu was hypocritical, this was his time to show his hypocrisy. And indeed, some of the people of Mecca who had just become Muslim right after the Fatah when the Prophet Sallallahu died, they started to rumble and think to themselves, well, now's our time to re- retake Mecca. He's dead in Medina. The Ummah is in chaos. Now we can go ahead and we can retake Mecca. So some of the people in Mecca started to talk like that. Like, let's go back to Jahiliyyah. And by the way, the conversation became so strong that the governor of Mecca, Utab ibn Usaid, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he went into hiding because he thought they were going to kill him. So imagine the person the Prophet appointed in charge of Mecca goes into hiding because he fears essentially a coup at this point, right? That those, those bad elements in Mecca, even though the Prophet tried to secure their hearts and their alliances, some of them see an opportunity now to take back Mecca to Jahiliyyah. And this is where Suhail fulfills the prophecy of the Prophet. This is why it's in the miracles. It's, it's Dalal al-Nubu'a. Al-Bayhaqi considers it one of the miracles of the Prophet when he told Umar anhu, he said, listen, one day, that mouth that you want to mutilate, those teeth that you want to knock out, one day that mouth is going to make you happy and he's going to take a stance that even you would envy him for, Ibn al-Khattab. In Medina, in the chaos, who stood in the masjid and calmed everyone down and brought them back to their senses? In Medina. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Right? Abu Bakr stood up and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, 
من كان يعبد محمدا فإن محمدا قد مات صلى الله عليه وسلم ومن كان يعبد الله فإن الله حي لا يموت Listen, whoever used to worship Muhammad Sallallahu then Muhammad Sallallahu is dead. But whoever used to worship Allah, Allah is ever living, and Allah does not die. Subhanallah, Suhail, Suhail, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, stands up in front of the Kaaba, hearing these rumblings. And he says, Ya Ahla Mecca, O people of Mecca, and everyone gathers around him. They gathered around Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu in Medina. In Mecca now, this is the first time where, look, we're going to have a conversation about this. He's not the governor of Mecca, but he's Suhail ibn Amr. He holds a position with them. He says, Ya Ahla Mecca. So he stands in front of the Kaaba and they gather around Suhail. He says, La takunu akhira man aslam wa awwala man irtad. Don't be the last people to become Muslim and the first people to apostate. SubhanAllah, he's warning them, don't be the last people to become Muslim and the first people to apostate. And he said, مَنْ كَانَ يَعْبُدُ مُحَمَّدًا فَإِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا قَدْ مَاتُ وَمَنْ كَانَ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ حَيٌّ لَا يَمُوتُ He said the exact same words as Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. <laughs> SubhanAllah, like Allah guided him to use the exact same words. If you became Muslim for Muhammad sallallahu Muhammad sallallahu is dead, but Allah is still alive. إِنَّ اللَّهَ حَيٌّ لَا يَمُوتُ and when Suhail did that, it was as if there was never any rambling in Mecca. Everything went back to its way. Usaid came out of hiding. Mecca stayed upon Islam. SubhanAllah, through that standing, Suhail ibn Amr, like warning the people, hey, listen, I used to fight the Prophet If there was anyone that was going to benefit from a worldly perspective of trying to overthrow the Prophet it would be me. And I'm telling you people, don't do this. Don't be the first people to leave Islam when you were the last people to enter into it. That was the prophecy of the Prophet So Abdullah, Abu Jandal, and Suhail are now reunited in Islam. And SubhanAllah, at this point now, Suhail decides that since the Prophet has died, he wants to join the ranks of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and go out and fight fi sabilillah alongside his two sons. So Suhail goes to Medina, he joins Abdullah and Abu Jandal, the two boys that he once tortured for being Muslim. This story, subhanAllah, and says, let's fight fi sabilillah together. They go out in the battles fi sabilillah. And Suhail, uh, as he is fighting alongside his sons, Abu Jandal and, uh, and Abdullah, the first test comes to him in that regard in the battle of Yamama. They're all fighting together against Musaylama al-Kadhab, the false prophets who had killed many of the Muslims, many of the Hafad of Qur'an. Suhail with his two sons, Abdullah and Abu Jandal, and his son-in-law, Abu Hudayfa. And remember the story, subhanAllah, of Salim, Mawla Abi Hudayfa, who the day of uh, Yamama was really his day, subhanAllah. An incredible story on that day. Abu Hudayfa, Salim both died ta'ala next to each other on that day. As for Suhail, Abu Jandal, and Abdullah, the only one who was martyred was Abdullah. Suhail and Abu Jandal, they walk together after the battle and they find Abdullah laying there. And they both hug each other and start to cry. So they're, they're weeping over the death of Abdullah. And Suhail tells Abu Bakr, ta'ala anhu, he says, Ya Abu Bakr, لَقَدْ بَلَغَنِي أَنَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ قَالْ يَشْفَعُ الشَّهِيدِ لِسَبْعِينَ مِنْ أَهْلِهِ 
He said, I heard that the Prophet said that the shaheed, the martyr, gets to intercede for 70 of his loved ones. And I hope that my son will consider me to be the first of those that he intercedes on their behalf. So Suhail and Abu Jandal continue. And Suhail goes out fighting the Byzantines. He goes out in battle. And he was a brave warrior, even though, subhanAllah, by that time, he was already in his late 60s. But in every battle, front lines alongside Abu Jandal fighting for the sake of Allah, fighting against the Byzantines. And then there is a, a, a story that, that takes place in the Khilaf of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, subhanAllah, at that point, where Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu dies and Suhail is back in Medina. Suhail is in Medina and he's with Abu Sufyan al-Harith ibn Hisham. And they have to visit Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and they're standing outside the door of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So we're back in Medina and Umar is the Khalifa. They said there was always a line in front of Umar radiallahu anhu's door. And Umar radiallahu anhu would come out and he'd arrange the line. How do you think Umar would arrange the line? I actually want to hear from you all. So Umar would come out, <laughs> long day of work, the Khalifa of the Muslims, I've got to hear all these cases, I've got to take care, listen to all these complaints, listen to... You know, give from Baytul Mal. How do you think Umar is going to arrange the line when he comes outside? I want to actually hear from you all. What do you think? Who were what? The poor people in the front. No, but a good answer. I can't hear you. The first people to become Muslim. So Umar went outside and he would see who became Muslim first and he arranged them in order <laughs> of the first, literally. So you became Muslim last, back of the line. That's Umar radiallahu anhu, right? He always wanted to show the veterans of Badr and the early Sahaba, Sabiqun al-Awwalun, that you'll always be first with me. So who ends up in the front of the line? Bilal, Ammar, Khabbab. It just naturally becomes that way because radiallahu anhum, they were the first people to become Muslim. So subhanAllah, this is a narration actually in, in, in the books, one of the few narrations of Suhail after becoming Muslim, that he's standing with Abu Sufyan al-Harith ibn Hisham. Umar came out, Umar radiallahu anhu set him in line, put them all the way in the back. And he put Bilal and Ammar and Suhaib up front. So Suhaib al-Rumi, Bilal ibn Rabah and Ammar ibn Yasir, may Allah be pleased with him. Umar radiallahu anhu put them up front, he put them all the way in the back. And Abu Sufyan starts to mumble and he gets upset. And he says, what is it with Ibn al-Khattab? He's trying to humiliate us. La yirtafitu ilayna. He's not even looking at us. And Al-Harith ibn Hisham says, yeah, you know, what's up with that? Why is Umar radiallahu anhu treating us this way? And Suhail radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, ala anfusikum faghdibu. He said, be mad at yourselves. He said, du'i al-qawm wa du'ina fa'asra'u wa atta'na. They were called to Islam, and we were called to Islam. They hastened, and we held back. It's our fault. Let's not get mad at Bilal and Ammar and Suhaib or blame Umar. They were called to Islam at the same time we were called to Islam. They were quick, and we were slow. We dragged our feet. And the next part that he, he says, he says, فَكَيْفَ بِنَا إِذَا دُعُوا إِلَىٰ أَبْوَابِ الْجَنَّةِ وَتُرِكْنَا he said, you know, what we should really be worried about, how will it be if on the Day of Judgment they're called to the gates of Jannah and we're told to get in the back. He says, Ama wallahi hadha He said, wallahi, that's so much more severe than what you're trying to compete for now. You're trying to compete to get in front of the Khalifa's door? 
How will it be when they're in the front of the gates of Jannah and we're all the way in the back? That's what you should be worried about. This is the mindset of Suhail now. SubhanAllah, look at the turn in this man's mindset. He's warning them. He's saying, that's what you should be upset about. Don't be upset about being put in the back by Umar anhu. And he said, Wallahi, the only way we can catch up with them is by spending the rest of our lives in striving for the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wal istishhad. And if Allah grants us martyrdom, that's it. Otherwise, they deserve to be up front and we will spend the rest of our lives in this way. Abu Sa'id ibn Abi Fudala, he says that I was with Suhail in Asham when he was in the, in the battlefield with Abu Jandal, him and Abu Jandal together. SubhanAllah, the father and son fighting together for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for their whole lives. And I heard him say, سَمِعْتُهُ يَقُولُ سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ يَقُولُ مَقَامَ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ سَاعَةً مِنْ عُمْرِهِ خَيْرٌ مِنْ عَمَلِهِ عُمْرَهُ فِي أَهْلِهِ He said that for one of you, he, heard, he said, I heard the Prophet say that to stand in the path of Allah for one hour is better than spending an entire lifetime with one's family. And he says, Wallahi, la ad'u mawqifan. So I swear by Allah, I will not take a single time of my life that I stood with the disbelievers against the believers, except that I will stand with the believers against the disbelievers in the same way. And not a single penny, a dirham that I spent in the path of, of disbelief, except that I will spend it in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَوَاللَّهِ لَأَبْقِيَنَّ مُرَابِطًا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ حَتَّى أُقْتَلَ شَهِيدًا أَوْ أَمُوتَ غَرِيبًا He said, I will stay the rest of my life as a troop, as a soldier for the sake of Allah, until I am either killed as a martyr or I die as a stranger. You can see the eloquence of Suhail, by the way, subhanAllah, these few sentences that reach us from him. You see the brilliance and the eloquence that comes from him. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And this is the ending of it all. And I hope now that you kind of, subhanAllah, can appreciate after COVID, the pandemic. Remember first halaqa we had, coronavirus and the sahaba. And as we're going through the story of these firsts now, how many people died in the plague of Amwas? Bilal, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Abu Ubaidah, Mu'ad ibn Jabal. Suhail and Abu Jandal and their entire families all died in the plague of Amwas in Jerusalem under the Khilaf of Umar Subhanallah, it wiped out their entire families, including all of their descendants. So they did die because the Prophet mentioned that whoever dies in Ta'un, whoever dies in that plague, will be a shaheed. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept them as shuhada and accept those that have passed away in such manner in our times also as shuhada. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with this family, with Abu Jandal and Abdullah from the first and from Suhail, who teaches us what it's like to live a life of redemption. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with the Sahaba, all of them, the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make us amongst those who hold back. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make us amongst those who are put in the back of the line at the gates of Al-Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the forerunners, make us from al-sabiqoon al-awwaloon on the day of judgment, make us from the first that are called to the gates of Al-Jannah and unite us with the prophets, the martyrs, the righteous ones, the truthful ones. Wa ulaika rafiqa. And what a blessed company that is. Allahumma ameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Jazakumullahu khayran. Inshallah ta'ala, I will see you all next week. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.